for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Rob Wolf needs no introduction. For as long as man has been obsessing over macro splits, locally sourced bee pollen, and organic beard conditioner, we have been lucky enough to have Rob reel us back into reality. A dear friend of Power Athlete HQ and a downright smarty pants, he has made the concepts of eating healthfully accessible to both the athlete and the everyman. In his second book, Wired to Eat, Rob dives deep into how to determine if the foods you're consuming are actually making you sick. In this week's episode, he discusses at length what he's learned since his last publication and how he's dedicated to putting the information out there for people to grab onto. Rob has always been a conveyor of science and continues to battle the nutrition bullshit. This is episode 203. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the premier podcast on strength conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. We are coming to you live from Austin, Texas, and on the line we have the New York Times best-selling author, the owner of the fourth CrossFit affiliate ever in existence, and one of the top 10 gyms in America, and also my good friend, Rob Wolf. Robbie I'm calling out prediction. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you. I'm, also, I'm calling out prediction. I'm also going to go probably top 10 paleo dad bods of 2017 <laughs> what do you think about that uh top 10 there's a list uh, out there it's uh, the top it's a pretty rarefied talent pool so uh, I don't know if that really counts all well, that much. i was trying to think of who who else would be on there the sisson well yeah but sisson has like grandchildren yeah so he's like yeah. top 10 like granddad granddad bod. bod okay yeah okay. so uh we got sisson i mean parsley is probably like listening to this emo trying to figure out how to get more sleep Right. <laughs> so I'm trying, I'm, I'm actually waiting for Parsley to like, uh, cause I told him, he's like, Oh, I'll be out there in February. I'm like, dude, it's almost April and I haven't heard from you. So, I mean, he, he might've been April two th- or February, 2018. So we'll, we'll know what's up with Parsley. And then we got, uh, I don't know. I mean, or Juan. Oh, or Juan's just, just kind of stringy though. He didn't yeah, really lift he, weights anymore. He's just, just kind of stringy. Although I'll tell you this. Um, I get a lot of entertainment at Erwan's social media because yeah. it is so, out of the, if you guys don't fond, uh, follow Erwan Lacour of MoveNet, he's very interesting. Like he gets on these veins. He was like on a big kick with like the Second Amendment. He's like, you know, it's a French guy moving to the country, and now he's got kids and he lives in in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. He um very very interesting, and I always get a laugh out of uh, what he posts. It's always very uh, insightful. So yeah, I mean, and that's about it. Well, let's barrel forward, Rob. I mean, you've been on you've been on book tour because you got this fancy manual out here to make people healthier and better. I mean, this is basically like uh, your second edition, ev- the evolution of kind of the paleo solution, right? Yeah, ish. I mean, it, it, it's a pretty big departure from the the first book. It is kind of funny though that uh, uh, I don't know. We have like fifty reviews on Amazon, and there's one like two star review that it, like everybody else is like, this is totally, you know outside the box trend setting. It's so different. And then this one guy is like, it's exactly the same as the last book. Don't read it. And uh, it was like, okay, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, hopefully after seven years, I've learned something else and, and have something new to, to bring this topic. So, you, you know, the, well, the, I think that uh, in the first book, I mean, it was like, here's, you know, here's my story. This is how I got to it. This is what works. This is what we've seen. And it was kind of the, uh, you know, kind of the stake in the ground. And then when I read this, it was this idea of like, let me give you the tools to effectively figure out how to navigate this thing and kind of take it from a one size fits all. Cause as I explained to somebody the other day with the paleo diet, it's such a broad brushstroke. And, um, you know, and then people are like, well, isn't it this? And I'm like, well, let me give you a little history. And, uh, you know, 
Rob is, uh, you know, what's cool with, with Rob is not only we've been, you know, I consider Rob one of my best friends in the world, but also we've had the chance to lecture and speak and, you know, and, uh, you know, lecture in tandem like we did at Texas first CrossFit football seminar where Robbie and I got to get up and tag team the nutrition. But, um, the idea that, you know, when people ask me like, well, you know, what's the history of the paleo diet, which I think is ironic. I'm like, well, you know, you got Rob Wolf, you got Lauren Cordain, but if you take it back a step further and you go back to the Weston Price stuff, uh, you know, he was out there, you know, observing hunter gatherer tribes and people that he looked at as, you know, hadn't been touched by the hand of Westernized culture and was looking for, you know, absence of tooth decay. And, uh, you know, the one thing which I thought was interesting when I went back and read a bunch of his stuff is that not one of the, uh, every group that he looked at had a different macronutrient breakdown. Some right. ate, you know, high fat, some ate low, you know, it was all over the map. And then you had people that were high carb, you know, this, and it, it was just, um, and then people get spun out and they're like, well, what about the uh, Katava Indians or what about the Anuts? And they, you know, and they, they go through and they, they're trying to fight this battle on the macronutrient thing. And it comes down to, you know, not only food quality, but also what can you tolerate and what's most ideal for you. And I think which was very insightful with your book is let's figure out what works best for you. I mean, we've already fought the food front, which is pretty interesting. And in then I thought that we won that one. And then all of a sudden, uh, if it fits your macros popped up and I'm like, didn't we already curb stomp this to fucking death years ago? Right. And right. then that popped up and I'm like, uh, I thought we already established that macros were, were personalized and it was food quality and now it's food quality doesn't matter. And it's, it, it just, it felt like that took us back a step and I'm like, I felt like we already curb stomped this. And then now I continually have to curb stomp this stuff. So what's their argument for if it fits your macros? Did they skip over Rob's book? Is it just an excuse to eat Pop-Tarts? What's, what's the deal? What's their point? There's definitely this sense that so long as you keep the caloric load at a certain point and then the macros, you know, enough protein to maintain muscle mass, um, hypercaloric state so that you can lean out. I mean, it works. You get people really lean on it, but, uh, it's funny because this whole like disordered eating thing and orthorexia gets thrown around a lot, but I did two book signings in Reno and at each one of those book signings, I had two different people, so four folks total, show up and they're like, yeah, so I followed this if it fits your macros deal and I completely fucked myself up, like my metabolism's been broken. I got down to like 2% body fat and then just the wheels fell off the wagon. So it, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it definitely works. Like the people who are really geeked on it can get super lean, but it seems like there's a pretty nasty rebound period after that when people go off of it they eat anything that's not nailed down and balloon up potentially and well the I, don't know, it's, uh, I mean the idea that uh you know and i've seen people like kind of lay out these um you know almost like hierarchy type pyramids where they show you know the base being you know caloric load yes of course like if you overeat and you don't and you under exercise i mean even, i mean eat, that's like through the whole pyramid but, but 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 i mean we uh what was the the book that the that the guy read uh the doctor that you recommended to me that i wrote that the guy was talking about you know if it was just eat less and move more. Like I refuse to believe that, you know, 200 that million Americans are this fucking lazy. And, um, who was, it, it was the Asian guy who wrote that. Pretty oh, Fung. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jason yeah, Fung. Yeah. Which was yeah. an amazing book. Um, and, uh, you know, he made a lot of ton of valid points, but at the end of the day, like if you put somebody in caloric restriction, whether it be through food or exercise, 
eventually they will whittle themselves down. The problem is, is that our bodies are smart, as you know, and, you know, we get, you know, huge leptin response and all of a sudden you under eat for five days and then you fucking eat the whole refrigerator and then you're like, oh, fuck, you know, and you get right. like a total caloric load and you're like, oh, I've been, you know, sub a thousand for, you know, uh, you know, six days and now all of a sudden I sat down and ate 7,000 calories out of my refrigerator and put myself back to the, you know, square one. Right. And, uh, you know, and like, so I think the, you know, and the thing I, and I was joking with, um, uh, Matt, um, you know, uh, uh, hate brand, uh, Matt, uh, yeah, sorry. I was joking with Matt Vincent the other day cause he lost a bunch of weight doing the keto stuff. And, um, I asked him, I'm like, well, dude, what's, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of jo- joking with him about, I'm like, well, what about donuts? I know you're big with, uh, you know, the deadlifts and donuts crew. And he's like, Hey man, my whole life's been a cheat meal. But if you're 6% body fat and you crossfit like religiously and you're fucking shredded and you want to have a donut, it's probably pretty small in the grand scheme of things. But the right. problem is, is people see these guys with a box of donuts and they figure like, Oh, they're eating donuts for every meal. These motherfuckers are training their ass off and like have a donut. And so, another thing, you know, John, I, and Rob, you know, you said it, this stuff works and I've spent, uh, I spent Friday and Monday with Dr. Tom Inkladon, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying just Mother talking about, dude, it, it's epic. I love that guy. And, uh, but you know, one thing we talk about in terms of fallacies of people, uh, the reasons they avoid blood work is they, they look healthy and feel healthy. And he's like the number one thing you can't base health off of aesthetics. And ironically, so here I am at Ashley's parents' retirement village, you know, and they're talking about uh, neighbors that they've lost. And like three or four of the people who have passed away in the past two years were the healthy ones who looked lean and, uh, you know, they died at 60, 65. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, this, if it fits your macros, starving yourself over, you know, exercising beyond your caloric load may get you lean, but it doesn't necessarily get you healthy, right? I mean, that's kind of the... the Well, I I think the... We've found, and dude, Rob, I'm sure will fucking double, triple stamp this. And, and what Dr. Tom has always talked about is at the end of the day, uh, if you are eating a favorably, you know, calorically dense, you know, uh, diet of food quality, uh, systemic inflammation is lower. And everything I've ever gone back with Tom, whenever we do the blood work, it's always like, what's the level of inflammation? What does the uh, A1C look like? And, uh, you know, and he's always said, he's like, dude, if your systemic inflammation is low, you will live and have dramatically less problems in the tie. So then you have to eat and train and live a life that allows you to have systemically low information. And if eating a fucking box of donuts fucks you, you know, fucks up your systemic inflammation and all of a sudden inflammation's high or, you you know, gluten or what it looks like. I'm sure, you know, if Robbie were to, you know, go pound, uh, you know, um, like, you know, five, uh, you know, uh, Chicago, you know, pizzas right now and drink a fucking case of beer. I guarantee not only would we have to hazmat the bathroom, but his systemic inflammation would be really high and that would be negatively, you know, adverse to him. So it, it might be actually super low because I think I would just catch on fire and like spontaneously combust, <laughs> starting starting with my sphincter all the way north. So So there's two things I've always wanted to do. Uh one is uh um go to the store and they actually sell gluten in a bag and I want to like yeah, it, 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 they use it to thicken up soups. And what I want to do is I wanted to just go to Rob's house and just sprinkle it on everything unbeknownst to him, like a secret being like, unbeknownst to Rob Wolf, we're sprinkling gluten on everything. And, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then watching and Rob being like, Nikki, what's in there? And she's like, I don't know. And then just Rob just implodes like, like, a, like take, a supernova. Well, you know, thanks like flour. Just throw it right in his face when he's sleeping. <laughs> you know, thanks to our nanny, I actually got a little bit of that because she uh, bought the girls Play-Doh which is made out of 
dough. And, and so I was like, Oh no, 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 no. That stays at your house. That's, that's then, not coming in here. Then the, uh, the other one is, is, um, I always wanted to like get a film crew and then go to Starbucks. And when Tony Blower is like walking out with his seven mocha frappuccino lattes that, you know, he has to have with his you know spiky cool hair and shit, like jump out and see if he fucking drops the coffee and like outside 90 fucking spears me. And so I always wanted to do it. And then uh, about a couple of weeks ago, he, he's in Austin and I went to one of his classes, which if you guys, we had Tony on the podcast and um, you know, whatever you think about, you know, Tony's training style and this, I mean, it's not BJJ, it's not boxing. It's this idea of self-defense and it's, it's pretty compelling if you watch all the videos and then we got to go practice it. And it was pretty fun because um, if you're, uh, you know, six, five, 280 pound uh, ex offensive lineman, and you get to like tussle with some dudes and it's literally throwing your hands like a, like a, a punch on the, on the line of scrimmage and then trying to drive your forearms through their chest and pin them against something. Uh, you know, this guy's like, you ever done this stuff before? I'm like, yeah, my entire life. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was pretty interesting like watching it, but um, uh, you know, I digress. Those two things, uh, getting gluten on Rob and then also trying to punk Tony Blower with his mocha lattes. That's on my bucket I, list. I did. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Just double up my life insurance so Nikki and the girls will be uh, squared away. Dude, uh, last uh, last Saturday I took the girls to their first uh, BJJ class. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so one one of my buddies here in Austin has a studio, uh, Todd White. He has, That's uh, the Machado mm-hmm. school? Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he opened uh, uh, you know Machado school, and so we took the girls over there, and it was pretty funny. They were uh, pretty nervous. Like, they just wanted to watch, and he's like, oh, you want to get them geese and jump in? I'm like, nah, they like to... S- they need a little bit like let's just, just let them watch and then when they want to go do it we'll go in there and so they watch for about 20 30 minutes and then they uh uh were like oh can we go punch the heavy bag so i was like showing them how to punch the heavy bag and that and like they got a little more comfortable and like this and then they were playing some games and they got in it and they uh, they left and i was like you guys want to go back next saturday and they were like yeah this is great we'd love to come every day nice. and uh nice. yeah no they're they're really into it like they you know, they wanted to practice the other day, which was funny. And, um, as we were kind of wrestling, I was trying to like, just hold them with my legs and, um, Killy ended up getting bounced off and hit her head on the uh, side table. And so Kate's like, shocker. <laughs> She's like, no more Brazilian jujitsu on the bed. I'm like, Oh God, this is, I'm, I'm not fucking with these kids. Anymore. But aren't they like, don't they have a daily injury quota? I mean, they've, they're like, it's a pretty two, high twice a day. So uh, you gotta, you gotta fill that quota. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, they, they fuck themselves up constantly, which is good because they're small, so they don't have a lot of mass. And also they're kind of sh- sh- uh, like a, uh, close to the ground. Like uh, people see babies fall, but they don't realize that a baby's legs are like six inches long and he's all torso for that very reason. So when he falls, he doesn't have far to fall. It's not like a huge lever arm smacking yeah. their head on the ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. people are like, oh, the baby. I'm like, dude, look how short his legs are. They are meant like, like this, is, this is evolution having the babies grow legs at the end once they figured out coordination because like they fall so much if they had long legs they'd fuck themselves up like i watch the kids turf it all the time i'm like oh, short legs good to be close to the ground if i felt like that would be fucked up <laughs> it's like when i when i wiped out on my skateboard and i fucking dude thought i fucking killed myself and it just turned Girl, out i had my keys now. in my pocket yeah. dude so i i had to drop my car off and i was like oh, i'll skateboard home and i'm fucking just you know tearing up on my longboard and all of a sudden i like hit a rock I fucking face planted and landed on like my side, like a dead fish. And I seriously got up and I was like, Oh, I didn't break anything, but God, my quad's killing me. I'm fucking landed on my keys. Was this and, and recently? No, it's probably about a year ago. And then okay. the hilarious okay. part is, uh, yeah. and, and then the, uh, and then the hilarious part is yesterday, uh, Tex was over at the house. He's like, Hey, is this your skateboard? I'm like, yeah, it's my fucking skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and like just like didn't say anything about it. I'm like that fucking skateboard got me. Well, let, now dude, you got a driveway in the hill. Yeah, let's. Uh, Rob, I, I just uh, had the opportunity to peek through your book, and one of the things that struck a chord for me was the discordance hypothesis. Yeah. So, uh, I'd like to kind of get into that, and then you say that was one of the guiding perspectives throughout the book. So, introduce that concept, and then kind of where it plays into the new approach. Yeah, you know, it, it. This is, I think, to some the whole discordance idea is basically this notion that you know any organism is kind of wired up for a particular environment, and if you tweak that environment significantly enough, um, there might be some problems. Now, the flip side of that is there could be some benefit too, and this is, I think, where the basic paleo diet idea kind of went ran aground in some ways, and uh, the crack in Matt Lalonde was pretty helpful and talking about this stuff just because something's new doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but we're discovering that a lot of stuff uh, is problematic that way. But, you know, when we look at, again, you know, to John's point, some of these pre-agricultural societies without medical intervention, without antibiotics, without vaccinations, without, you know, modern sanitation, these people were pretty damn healthy. And it's not a, uh, you know, it's not really a contentious topic when you get into anthropology and archaeology circles. But the interesting thing is when you took these folks that were eating a largely whole, unprocessed, non-Westernized diet, and and again, it could be high carb, it could be low carb. And as that changed and as features of their lifestyle changed, like they started sleeping differently, which typically meant less when their activity levels dropped, when they had less community then these people started developing westernized diseases. And, you know, the thought there is that there's just some threshold that is met that involves, you know, these four pillars of health, sleep, food, movement, and community. And once those things get get changed significantly enough, there might be the potential that we see some significant problems. And, you know, even on that community side, it's pretty well understood that folks that lack adequate social connectivity they're as at risk for morbidity and mortality as a pack a day smoker. And it, it's just woven into our DNA to be, um, to be social animals and, and uh, all primates have a pretty strong social component and it, humans definitely do. You know, we, uh, there was, um, as I was driving back and forth to California, I listened to a you know, series of podcasts. Uh, one of them was Joe Rogan's uh, uh, Henry Rollins podcast. I don't know if you listened to it, but I listened to it twice. It was so good. It's really the only time other than when you were on recently where Joe was starstruck and felt like he was like, and then what happened, Henry? Like, it was awesome. <laughs> like, I, you know, because I listened to the K-Star one where he just curb stopped K-Star and he's like, isn't it just stretching? Just like belittling him. And so like, whereas Rogan had Henry Rollins on and it was like, and then what did we do, Henry? Like, it was fucking like, I was like, God damn it. This is fucking, I want to meet Henry Rollins now. Um, but uh, there was a, a deal with Art of Manliness and they talked about the idea of, um, uh, you know, social connectivity for men and that this, you know, Band of Brothers idea that there's this, um, idea that you know men uh historically don't do well with like social circles in terms of like you know similar to women where like women sit around the sewing circle and they talk and they did uh he talked about a study where they uh took little girls and they put them in a room with chairs and the girls would turn the chairs to face each other and have conversations whereas the little boys would put them next to each other and would talk about well let's go do this and so, like, whereas women interact that way, men interact based upon tasks. Like, hey, I'm putting up the barn today. Why don't you guys come out and let's fucking 
break some shit. Knock it out. Yeah, knock it out. Or let's do this. And so men being task-oriented groups, and since we don't live in communities where we have to put up bar, well, we do now. Um, that's why we moved here, so we'd have this. But like in most communities, they don't have a barn. They don't, you know, yard work. And it has become that these men have become really soulless and don't really have, uh, you know, any type of friends and community. And it leads to this, um, not only are they, you know, dying younger, having all these problems, but also uh, high suicide rates. And they, they found like, uh, I, I forgot what the study he referenced, but they found men that had, had like had called out and reached out to different people. Like I'm going to commit suicide this. And they basically put them in groups and found them like not just one, but groups of men as like support groups. And instantly it was like, uh, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't realize I was just really lonely and, um, right. you know, and like they, they talked about not only health and like all these different markers for it. So it's pretty interesting that, uh, you know, when you look at your pillars, the idea that, you know, community and, and even we were joking earlier on the podcast about having, um, you know, your 10th man or your Tom die in your life, who's the person who's going to tell you the truth, regardless of what you want to hear at all times, which is pretty good. And I don't think a lot of people have that because we run into that's them. my wife, interestingly, but, uh, well, yeah. that's true. And, uh, and I know this, so I do my best to barb Nikki at all times. Uh, oh, the, when, and, and the, the, the Twitter exchanges at 11 o'clock at night are absolutely amazing sometimes between Nikki and John. So I have this thing where I've convinced <laughs> Nikki that she's not funny. And even though Nikki is funny and she has a sense of humor, I've just convinced her otherwise. And so she's trying to prove that she's funny. And I'm like, that's not funny. You don't know what funny is. And I've just taken it as like a personal thing to try to convince her that she's not funny. And I know Rob's still like, this motherfucker, stop fucking with Nikki because she takes it personally. And Rob's like, I know he's fucking with her. And uh, I, I'll, just, I'll, I'll be like, uh, Nikki will like, send me something or I'll be like, that's not funny. And then I'll send her something back like, this is funny. This is part of your funny training. Well, we're going to get through this. The hilarious thing is she'll show something to me and she's like, is this funny? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It looks really good. Why don't you let that one fly? Oh, it's a meme. Look and, at it. And, 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 then she, and then she sends it to me and I'm like, that's not funny. And I'm like, this just proves that you don't know what funny is. And then she just gets so fucking mad. And I know she's like, fucking Wellborn. And uh, Rob's like, God damn it. You know, he's fucking with you. No, he's not. He's, he, he's totally messing with you. So it's, it's pretty good. All right. So Tex, you said you had a list of questions. You want to barrel forward? Uh, yeah. So one of them was the, the hygiene hypothesis. So this is kind of with that discordance hypothesis and that our body is expecting infection. Yeah. And now with all the uh, anti-cleanliness, the the antibiotics and all everything. that. So, well, it, the, the other one, and uh, Rob, this is another one I was going to hit you on, is um, uh, they did some pretty extensive stuff about people bathing their kids too much. Right. Another one. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And it, it's, uh, you know, clearly there's some benefit to not um, – taking a dump in your own water supply and, you know, passing infectious agents around like that. And so there's some really big benefits to uh, uh, public health and, and hygiene and, you know, all that type of jive. But it looks like there's probably a good argument to be made that, uh, you know, kids and people in general really benefit from a, a little bit dirtier of an environment. And there's some interesting studies where folks with um, different GI problems, ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, they will actually infect them with a, a strain of pinworms that do not live in humans. Like they have a really short life cycle. They, they get shedded and, and uh, uh, cleared pretty quickly. But this infection actually ends up clearing up the GI issue. So there's some sort of like an immune tuning response to getting this parasite in there. And 
when you look at virtually any animal that lives out in the, you know, nature, it, it is kind of parasite riddled. And there might be an argument that, uh, you know, there's some baseline of that, that that seems to tune the immune response and keep some things within uh, good operating parameters and that there may be the, the unintended consequence of keeping our, ourselves parasite free and uh, exposed to antibiotics and whatnot. Clearly, there's benefits to some of that, but there might be some downsides to it also. Is um, It's kind of interesting. I mean, then people could say, well, I mean, is it, uh, you know, because I, I know you've, you've, you've looked pretty extensively at like the fecal transplants where, you know, people have, you know, terrible gut biota and they can't, you know, uh, you know, pretty much on the verge of death and they go and they do fecal transplants, which is, you know, you're basically transplanting the fecal matter of a healthy person to an unhealthy person to try to move over their, uh, you know, uh, whatever. The gut uh, biome. Yeah, yeah, the gut yeah. biome. I mean, that's been like, uh, you know, and what, what's crazy is if you read it, it has a huge success rate, but yet people look at that as witch doctory. Yeah, it, it, you know, the FDA, I believe, has cleared that for ulcer, ulcerative colitis, I think, either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's. And, and then also, if somebody has been infected with a C. difficile, which is a pretty nasty uh, microbe that, that seems to cause a lot of gut problems, like if people um, do the really aggressive round of antibiotics to get rid of the C. difficile, then the, I think that it's FDA approved to do the fecal transplant to, uh, to try to repopulate. It, there is a decent amount of success with it, but it's not universally successful, you know, just like everything. And there are some people that end up uh, worse off after the, the transplant than before. It, I mean, uh, I, the, the question I always found was interesting is like, uh, if we have this kind of, you know, and uh, the way I always joke or, you know, relate the, I guess you could say bacteria in the body is like Star Wars. There's like the force, you know, the dark side and the good side. You got like the light and the, and the dark and it's kind of a, a gentle balance. And I always make the joke like ask a woman about the balance who takes a bunch of antibiotics and see what happens to her balance and, you know, yeast infections and then the, the good and the bad. And um, I wonder at which point, like what amount of antibiotic you would have to give somebody to completely wipe out uh, all their gut bacteria and then how to necessarily repopulate that. And then it seems like such a tricky deal. Like, uh, you know, cause you think what well, there's 10 times more bacteria in our body than there are cells. So then at like, which point, like, you know, cause I mean, you think about a guy who, um, you know, I, I had a couple uh, teammates that got staph infections and they, they had these guys on these like, you know, uh, like permanent, like bricks where they were like going in three times a day on these, you know, uh, uh, antibiotic IVs. And like, you know, and the amount of problems that those guys had from just the IVs was like, you know, almost as bad as what they were trying to kill, uh, kill off with the staff. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's tough. It, it, the, some of the interesting things is ju just that the, the gut microbiota changes all the time. And so even when we do some sequencing and you look at it, you know, people will say, oh, this is a healthy gut microbiota, but then you check the person hours later or days later, and it's totally different. Like the, the, the whole population is really labile. It changes a lot. And so I think that it's, there are some folks that are really claiming some deep knowledge about, well, this profile means this and that profile means that. And I think that we're way, way, way early. I don't know if we're ever going to be to a spot where we can really pin that stuff down well, but I do think that we can get some general guidelines and then we just look at the clinical outcomes. Like how is the person doing? Like, do they have 
Are they constipated? Do they have loose stools? Do they have some other funky gut stuff going on? And, uh, you know, we can do some clinical interventions that hopefully moves them in a more favorable direction. And we can really kind of hang our hat on that empirical side. And just to to throw this out there, there is, you, you mentioned the fungal issue. We're now discovering a lot of people have small intestinal fungal overgrowth in addition to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And this sure. is a whole other, you know, uh, kettle of fish, like the dealing with the fungal overgrowth is really complex. Uh, we thought that it was complex when we were just dealing with bacteria, but that's a whole other layer to this thing. No, the, uh, the fungus is interesting. Um, I remember Dr. Tom talking about that and, uh, of the fungus obviously feeding on sugar. And so like, you know, uh, people having all these problems they couldn't necessarily diagnose. And, um, actually, you know, when we were kind of talking about some ketogenic stuff, what kind of really taught my idea He's like, you know, uh, um, some people are dealing with this overgrowth of fungus and actually removing sugar from the diet tends right. to be beneficial for them. And I was like, well, how do you know? He's like, well, do you know anybody that doesn't eat sugar, then eats sugar once and just balloons up like uh, out of control? And I'm like, yeah, I've run into some people like that. He's like, could be a fungal overgrowth. And, um, you know, and he, he's like, uh, you know, like I think what we're coming down to is, uh, and dude, I always joke with this. I mean, in 2009, we thought we knew so much. Oh, totally. Like, I, like we always joke about this. I'm like, we had it figured out. And then every year that goes on, I'm like, nope, I know less than I knew last year. I'm like, I'll go yeah. back and read some stuff and I'll be like, man, I was so sure that now I just, you know. But yeah, we did the, a pretty good Dunning-Kruger run for sure. <laughs> I that whole Dunning-Kruger curve. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, but, but I mean, with one thing at least, uh, you know, and what I'll always respect about you and the Kraken and, you know, I'd like to believe about myself is the fact that we will be the first ones to say, um, you know, that's what I believe then. And this is what I believe all, yeah. now. And I, I, I have this evolution and I'm constantly learning, which is constantly driving me down this road. Whereas I run into people all the time where I'll be like, dude, that was so 2009. Have you not fucking read anything since 2009? Like get the fuck off. Or even experimented. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like when I, I, I heard somebody the other day, like being like, well, the paleo diet, you know, was developed 40,000 years ago. And it like, they were going through and giving me this and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive into this a little. And so I, you know, started asking some questions and you know, they, you know, you could tell it just like glossed over and I was like, fuck man. You're like, like that was the narrative we were, you know, and I, I remember driving up to Andy Petronic's gym to go give that talk and I, and Rob coached me on the way up. And I remember like that talk so specifically. And now here we are years later where I would never give that talk. I would give pieces of that talk as reference. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's evolved so much past this idea of like, so cut and dry and it's really come down to this idea. And I think that's, what's just so unique and so really cool about this book is that, you know, here's a set of tools that we've put together based off of research and we've done that will help you figure out what's most beneficial for you for not only health and performance and these other things. So, I mean, it's super jiggy. So going back to like 2009, you know, the Rob, your book gave a platform for people to discuss nutrition. Like it shifted the paradigm to a paleo platform, right? So here we are, you know, continuing along that life cycle and we hit wired to eat. What is, what is the new paradigm? Like what is, what is the new platform? If paleo is like, so 2009, how, you know, what is the new platform to speak about this nutrition thing? Well, you know, it, it, so I'm not jettisoning paleo. Like when I first moved to Reno, part of the reason why we stuck around here, it's a pretty, pretty cool location. Maybe not as uh, cool as having deer and pigs show up in my backyard like John has every day, but it's, uh, it's pretty legit. Rob, soon when you move in next door, I've been prepping my neighbor for when you move nice, in next door. Nice, nice. But um, you know, one of the things that did keep us here is that we uh, 
linked up wagons with a medical clinic that had just finished a two-year pilot study with the Reno Police, Reno Fire Department, found 35 people at high risk for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, put them on a paleo diet on the lower carb side of things, modified their sleep and exercise as best they could. And based off the changes in the blood work and their metabolic risk parameters, it's estimated that the pilot study alone saved the city of Reno $22 million with a 33 to 1 return on investment. So it's a really, really powerful tool. But the that whole ancestral template looking at sleep, food, exercise, uh, community is a starting place. It's not the finishing place. And that's where a lot of folks ended up kind of running aground as they tried to uh, do a ton of historical reenactment, you know, write these things into, into a religious doctrine, put them in stone tablets. And that's where it all kind of goes south. So it, right. well, it went into dogma. I mean, like all of a sudden when I heard people and I think dude, the, this is, you know, what's cool is uh, to have Rob on here and to think like how much offline communication we have with it. But like this idea where you hear people start talking, I'm like, dude, this sounds like I'm in church. Right. People get up right. and they're like, there was this time where there were these healthy people that were wearing loincloths and sprinting on the Serengeti and you go through it and you're like, dude, like if I want to go to church, like, uh, you know, and it, yeah, I mean, it just gave rise. And I, and I think, uh, um, when we saw that happening, I mean, pretty much uh, if we didn't pivot, I believe that the Kraken probably would have shown up at our door and killed us. Oh, absolutely. Which, he would have dissolved us in a vat of acid. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden there's like a knock, like in uh, John Wick, you know, where the, where the cleaners show up and the big guy like that would be mad. Like I'd be like, well, well here's my gold token. He's like getting the bat of bad acid. Rob's already in there. Get out of here. You fuck. So it, you guys know, we call uh, Matt Lalonde, uh the Kraken because in the movie, you know, uh, what was it? The um, Clash of Titans. Yeah. Clash of the Titans. The Kraken's like, Aah! it just destroys everything. It's that's released the Kraken. So um, you know, but that's that's good because that's kind of like the Tom Dye deal. I mean, that's yeah, you got to have somebody there who's like, you're fucking up, dude. And um, you know, and if you don't progress, you're gonna look like an asshole, and I'm gonna call you out on it. Which I was right, which Matt is is pretty amazing though. He'll tell you you're an idiot, and then you're like, it's almost like going to some sort of religious oracle where you're getting you know facts from the nether the other world where you're kind of like so should i be talking about this or that and he's just like oh my god he you know who he reminds me of is uh is it a uh, dr atomic from like the the watchman where he he basically uh, gains you know omnipotence and he's like fuck these assholes. I'm going to another galaxy and starting this whole thing over. He's like, I am totally over this. Like that is the Kraken. He's just like, I'm done. I'm over it. But he was kind enough to help me do a lot of the science editing on my book. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> so Rob, you're talking about how, how paleo kind of just starts the conversation. And then the book is the, the next stepping stone for people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if the, in, you know, for, you know, it's interesting pitching this thing to the power athlete community because just the nature of what you guys have built, the community you guys have built, people are pretty fucking wired up on their food and, and uh, training and all the rest of that stuff. So, I mean, there's not going to be any real deep insights for, for people, for their personal experience. But I, I tell you what, if you coach people, it's going to be yeah, a really exactly. valuable potential book because you really do get a pretty deep insight into the neuroregulation of appetite and what the motivators are. And you know, what I discovered is a lot of the people who failed at some point in this process of nutrition and lifestyle change, it was an emotional gig. Like there was some sort of like internal dialogue where they would start, particularly in this, this era of social media, 
they would look around at other people. Let's say someone lost 50 pounds and then they see someone on social media that lost a hundred pounds and they're like, Oh, I'm a failure. Like I, I'm a piece of shit. You know, I, it should be easier. And that was a, a message that I heard from a ton of people. They would, even though they were succeeding, they would say it's really hard and I feel like there's something broken in me because it's hard to make this change. And so I'm just going to give up. And what the book, you know, the case that it makes, if you really understand this neuroregulation of appetite and that we're wired to eat more and move less. And this is kind of basic thermodynamics, like any organism, you know, a bear doesn't eat something, consult its Fitbit and then say, well, that was 600 calories. I need to do some jumping jacks and burpees to burn it off. You know, I mean, it, only humans and our pets are in a situation where we have so much plenty that it makes sense that we need to have strategies to defend ourselves from that plenty. So if we really wrap our heads around that and we understand that eating is in that same part of the brain as basic survival, it is basic survival. We don't think about eating that way because we always, you know, if you were born in a westernized culture, like very, very few people have gone any duration of time without immediate access to food. So we don't think about food being a survival mechanism, but if somebody falls in the water and they're drowning, they're going to do anything they possibly can to pop their head out of the water and gulp that, that breath of air that's going to save their life. And so if we have access to a multiplicity of foods that bypass the neuroregulation of appetite that allow us to eat more than what we would normally eat, that's really good engineering and a reasonable response. There's nothing morally flawed about people doing that. And so if, if there was kind of one thing that people would take away from that, it's that it's not your fault. You know, if you live in this modern world and you find it difficult to decouple yourself from social media and engineered hyperpalatable foods, totally understand. Um, but I'm not in the fat acceptance deal either. The, the gal that was the leader of the fat acceptance movement just died at the age of 34. Yeah, and Rob, women don't have doctor. heart attacks in their thirties, you know. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, Rob. I think you you sent me that, and uh, yeah, you know, as I was reading through it, the hilarious part was the comments about people talking about, you know, like what a, how motivating she was and what a warrior she was, and how you know her fight for that. I, I was like reading. I, I don't know if you read the comments, but like I couldn't bring myself to it. Uh, the fact that she died was one thing, but the comments made me. Well, I mean. Every day, my faith in humanity is uh, is diminished. Um, I, I, Which is why you're building a compound out in in. No, no, Texas, it's not a compound. So. It's just a you know a place where only certain people are allowed, and, <laughs> and there's we have only gates. certain rules. Yeah, and, and we have gates, know. gates and guns. Yeah, yeah gates and guns. Yeah, but yeah, it's not no, a compound. No, no, not at all. And uh, the the uh, yeah, as I was reading the comments, I was like, oh, like the only thing that has given me less faith in humanity is. Uh, they had an interview with people that felt that they got, they've been duped by Donald Trump, that they voted for him based upon the drain, the swamp. We're not going to bring in a career politician. We need somebody that tells the truth and they feel duped because something like 94% of every comment uh, or 94% of all comments he's made since he's been president have been um, deemed uh, an outright lie. And I think it was like 4% have some vein of truth and it's like 2% have, actually truth and these people got on and they were like i feel like i've been lied to and i remember thinking to myself are you fucking out of your mind so that and then the the comments on the fat shaming lady who died to have a heart attack at 34 that was pretty much it 
Yes, <laughs> that might be and a good spot to wrap up. <laughs> that's uh, that's our, our view of the future by John Wellborn. No, but it, I mean, like, guy, I mean, you don't have to be so doom and gloom. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And like, this is what gives me faith. And uh, when I say faith, like power in this whole deal is to see these things that are so far off base and to realize that there's non-crazy people like Rob, like us, and other friends around us within our circle that are barometers uh, for, you know, what is actually accurate. I think if you plug into social media, uh, you know, like if you believe that the pictures that you see of these, you know, different like fitness people are like them just eating, you know, clean diets that, you know, don't involve Photoshop or drugs or dieting specifically for this, or people don't take 300 pictures on the day they looked fantastic in different outfits and then post them periodically over the course of a year, you know, so it looks like they're, you know, it's like, dude, like it's a total fucking scam. And I think people believe this stuff. And, um, you know, like, uh, like my favorite is uh, all the, the memes that have to do with the fit tees. And like it shows like the super jack girl and Arnold's like, oh, how much fit tea did you take? And it's like, do you really believe these girls are drinking fit tea? Like it's just, but Dude, they're all, doing fit tea enemas. That's the secret. Well, that and, you know, I've been doing and it the money the that way. they're making for people to yeah, apply I mean, it. But yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it, but I think the problem becomes is that you have this, you know, and we'll go back to the, you know, Star Wars deal for Callie and also for Rob is the idea of there's like, you know, the balance, like the good and the bad. And I think we're constantly fighting back and, you know, really the theme for power athlete and Robbie's, you know, I consider Rob one of the OG power athletes and one of the original creators of this program. Cause I mean, when long before there was a power athlete, I mean, when there was, uh, when they pitched me the idea across the football, the first person I called, uh, as I walked out of, uh, you know, out of the house in Arizona, I called Rob and I told him and Rob's comment was like, really? really? <laughs> to this day. <laughs> and uh, I mean, so Rob's been with me. I mean, on this journey is, uh, you know, I mean, it was funny. Like the first time I ever met Rob, I was like, I can't believe we haven't been friends longer. This is so weird. And then after like hanging out a few minutes, I'm like, oh, good. Now we're best friends now. And, um, but well, I did, it, I think it, uh, sealed the deal when I brought you the, uh, quadruple X shirt. It was a triple like, dude. Wow, man. <laughs> well, it was funny. Rob's like, Hey, they fucked up. Uh, we got shirts made and they fucked up and gave us one triple X and we've had it for years. I think you're the only person that would actually, that will ever fit into this. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like, we've been carrying it around for years looking for you. It was kind of the glass slipper for, uh, for Cinderella in terms of right. uh, with Rob. So I, I get the shirt and we're friends ever since, but the idea that like, you know, constantly fighting back. And I think, uh, you know, both of Rob's books and you know what he does on his podcast and the blog and really just what he's put out over the years is this idea of like constantly pushing back the mainstream nonsense and like trying to always offer some vein of of non-crazy and and you know okay you know like here was my story and the hilarious thing is when I read your book I was like oh that's great I mean here's a story and then the best is people would argue with you about it you're like this is my story right right I was sick I did this and they're like arguing with you and you're like you can't argue with my fucking story. It's my story. It's not as if I'm fucking telling you about another story or making it up. It's mine. And, um, you know, somebody was like, ah, you know, Rob's book. I was like, and then we were at a pod or at a, a seminar and somebody brought it up and I'm like, it was his fucking story. Like that's his path. This is what happened with him. And he's recounting it and talking about his whole journey with this thing and, and how many people he's helped. Why? Uh, there was no argument in that. That was, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a profound statement, like a stake in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with this, it's, uh, you know, here's a set of tools. Try it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, fuck off. Try something else. Like, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, um, we, we are at a point where, um, 
you know, we don't really need much more theory. We really definitely don't need more information. Like we are flush with that. What we need <laughs> is for people to just get in and try this stuff on like a sweater. Like just give it a shot. And, and before that though, it'd be good to delineate who are you, where are you at, and where do you want to move the boat? Because John and I get these questions where it's like, it's 15 paragraphs and you're, you, you're still at the end of it. You really don't know what the question is or what their motivation is. And so then it's like, okay, tell me again, what do you want to do? You know? And then once they delineate, okay, I want to get bigger, I want to get stronger or whatever, I want to lean out. Then once we get a goal, then we can kind of retro engineer that goal. And we, you know, nutritionally, it's kind of like, okay, we'll focus on some nutrient density. We'll figure out where your carb tolerance is. And then we'll play around with, you know, for me, ideally, you eat in a way where you spontaneously eat at the level that supports your activity level and the degree of leanness you want. If we need to break out the measuring cups, then we'll do that occasionally. But that's not my my first place to go with with folks. You know, I would like them to be able to just eat a real meal and not not obsess over it. And by playing with that, we can probably get 98, 99% of where we're going to go, you know, with our, our genetic potential. It's not that crazy. But the, the thing, the biggest impediment that people have is being uh, religiously wed to one methodology, you know, and I guess that's the challenge is being able to look at the methodology, try it in an objective way, and then figure out if it's working for you and to what degree you want to tweak it in the future. Would you say that there's an argument for periodizing your diet, which is, I mean, something that, um, you know, we've not only talked about, but I've seen for years is this idea that, uh, you know, people constantly are talking about, uh, you know, overtraining, undertraining, stagnation. You know, if you do the same thing every day, you know, tree doesn't grow to the sky. We need to constantly rotate, uh, you know, and we do it with our amateur collegiate and professional templates. We cycle people through, we cycle volume and intensity, but yet surprisingly people will eat the same macronutrient ratio and same caloric load every single day in the same foods. Right. And what's amazing is people will not argue, you know, avoiding accommodation and training, but yet will fight you to death on the idea of constantly varying, you know, not only the, the food sources, uh, but also, you know, eating different things. Like I know I do. I mean, I eat a pretty, you know, macronutrient kind of balanced uh, isochloric, we call our isochloric, which is 33, 33, 33 diet. And, uh, and then parts of the year, um, you know, I do something ketogenic and then we'll do something like the anabolic diet. And I kind of cycle through three or four different approaches. And it's just kind of based on the idea of the seasonality and where we are in the training and it fits. And I, I find not only does it add some variety, but also, uh, you know, uh, kind of continues to drive adaptation. And like, that's the one thing that, um, uh, you know, as I go through and I write, when people ask me a lot of nutrition stuff, I'm like, dude, the ability to understand different nutritional approaches and be able to cycle through it, like just like for your training just makes sense. And, right. you know, and then also realize what you did in your twenties isn't going to work in your forties and fifties. And that's what I also thought was interesting when you were talking about carb, uh, you know, total caloric load and car, uh, you know, your ability to handle carbohydrate. Have you seen people over the age, you know, uh, over age, like, let's say you were to take like a, you know, 22 year old kid who can train, you know, 20 times a week opposed from a 40 year old guy who might get three or four training sessions just cause he can't recover. Have you seen, um, you know, almost like as you age, your ability to process carbohydrate kind of decreases? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a pretty common finding and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, do we see this in non-Westernized cultures as much? I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe less, but, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, some of the, the 
key elements of these modern degenerative diseases, whether we're talking about insulin resistance or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, appears to be some sort of breakdown in the mitochondria functioning correctly. And interestingly, a lower carb diet, particularly a ketogenic diet, seems to bypass a lot of the roadblocks that seem to pop up in that mitochondrial function. It, it, uh, you're pumping energy through this complex two of the mitochondria instead of the complexes one, three, four, and five. And so it, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And it, again, it's just, um, you know, it's a good reminder that even though you have something that's working for you today, it may not work for you tomorrow and you need to be open and flexible and adaptable. And it's also, uh, to your point, I think that this is where it's valuable having a training plan, having some goals. And the goals don't have to be huge and lofty. Like I squatted almost 600 pounds in my, my late teens, early 20s. I'm never going to reach that again. Like the sacrifice I would have to make to be able to get back to that is, is just monumental. So my PRs are relative things. They're not absolute things at this point, but I can set, you know, kind of you know, two month, three month goals. And it's like, okay, I want to hit these numbers on this, hit those numbers on that. It sounds like, um, I've, I've finally shamed or chagrined my jujitsu coaches into giving me a purple belt. And so that's, uh, uh probably going to happen here pretty soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank well, you. I mean, so, but, uh, yeah. but isn't the, you know, we, we were talking about, I think we were on the podcast the other day. Um, I get emails constantly from people that are like, Oh, I'm in the best shape of my life at 40. And I always think like, man, if I can make that comment, I probably didn't do a lot in my 20s or 30s. Right, and right. Like, you didn't have to sit behind a desk in this fucking, you know, and he, he launches into this story about how he lived or worked at Navistar. And well, it's, it's the truth. You, you live on this ivory tower, oh, NFL no. athlete, Maxim models, this, that, the other thing, you know, private was, jets to was, Brazil. It was amazing. I, yeah. uh, I, as I wake up every morning with my kids and my wife and I'm sitting there and you know, cleaning up, fucking throw up and making lunches. I'm thinking to myself, man, I used to fly on private jets with Maxim models. God, I love my life. Let's go. <laughs> you're basically like, you're like a poor man's Dan Bilzerian. But not even know what the fuck we're talking about. Um, <laughs> you totally fucking threw me off for a loop now. Well, Rob, I know, I know oh, we're no, kind no, of on like a hard stop here, right? Yeah, pretty pretty soon. I've okay. got a, a, a yeah. He's got seven yes. other podcasts. You know, he's got <laughs> yes. like like Doctor House is flying into Reno. He's giving him a pedicure. So well, uh, we weren't we weren't really going to publicize that one, but yeah. <laughs> I I actually would uh, uh, contribute money on a GoFundMe for Rob to actually fight uh, a celebrity cage match against Doctor Oz, um, Russell Berger. Who else could be thrown to that fight? Uh, Russell, dude, I don't know. That guy's got some demons. I think he's going to, you know, he's like the Terminator. I don't know. I mean, he's a BJJ guy. I, I think a battle between him and Rob. I mean, Rob's got him by what, two or three feet? It, thereabouts, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, you know, he, I mean, he's, you know, he's the angry inch. I mean, he's, you know, he's but tough. He, he's got a I, I've, I've largely mended it's fences it. with those guys. The like, they're, they're, they're oh. all geeked. They're all geeked out on the uh, sugar, you know, going after big sugar, which is kind of hard to, to, you know, I've put most of my personal enmity behind me because that's a pretty laudable process yeah, to be yeah. undertaking. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the, uh, the sugar stuff they're doing is uh, I, when they pitched me on that, I was like, have you guys read Beowulf? And they, uh, you know, they were kind of like, what? I'm like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, we read Beowulf. I'm like, fight the good fight. Like that was Beowulf. Like, regardless of what it was there was this idea of just you know regardless of the outcome i'm going to fight the good fight and uh i believe that battle with sugar which is uh, monumental in the ability i mean those guys so much money i mean so like 
like that's such a uh, uphill fight is a actually a good fight. So I, I appreciate and uh, I love those guys' humor. Their yeah. ability to fucking verbally over the via the internet dress people down is phenomenal. So I'm tip my hat to them, but I still would like to see you go after uh, you and Russell on a fucking BJ uh, a little deal. And then um, it was actually funny. My uh, uh, I posted that thing with um, uh, Conor McGregor. Um, you know, I was trying to put the fight together with uh, with Money Mayweather, and so I posted up something. And dude, I got a ton of uh, feedback on it, and uh, I still to this day think um, you put a skilled boxer in the ring, he's going to take down just about anybody. So we got to get you a little more boxing skills, Robbie. Oh, I tie boxed for years. Oh, that's I mean, right. I'm, that's right. I'm you did fairly squared. It, 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 honestly, I still think today my tie boxing skills are better than my jujitsu skills, and I haven't really done the tie boxing in fifteen years. But I was reasonably good at it. So, where are people going to find the book? Where do you want them to go? Where can they learn more? Uh, WiredToEat.com, RobWolf.com. Wired to Eat's available anywhere books are sold. So, yeah. And- yeah. There you have it. And I think the most exciting part about this thing, Rob, uh, you know, selfishly for me is it, it allows a platform for messaging, right? Because Paleo became a good platform with your first book <clears throat> to communicate with my athletes. And now it's the next step for people who are ready, right? I, I so. really hope so. And, uh, you know, particularly for the power athlete scene, like, again, I, I think that the, uh, the good fit there is in helping the folks that you guys coach. Like it could provide some really good insight into what's going on in folks' heads and, and if and when they spin out like this is, you know, some of the emotional stuff is why it's happening. Yeah. Definitely, Robin. Thanks again for taking the time and, uh, you know, we'll catch you next time and hope get down to Austin, hang out. Let's shoot some things. Let's eat some things. We're, uh, we're going to make our, uh, Palo FX trip like a week and a half. So we're going to drive around and check out New Brunswick and San Marcos. And, um, I I, I'm actually a little partial to, um, San Antonio. Oddly mm-hmm. enough, and uh, I kind of like that brush country a little bit, and so we're going to punch down there and maybe even just look at some of the places in between. So yeah, yeah. well, there's a uh, uh, just south of us. Um, uh, there's some cool spots. I mean, we were, uh, uh, yeah. No, we we got to take you on a tour because there's some super cool places. Like uh, my big thing is like I want to see water. Like I like to see right. rivers and creeks and whatever. And some of the stuff out off of like Hamilton pool, a little farther out, like Luke, where we were driving that day, yeah, where yeah. all, you know, all that river and there was like, you know, rocks and hills and like this hill country to me, I think is, uh, is, is really nice. And, you know, and, uh, on top of it, there's going to be a pretty cool, uh, private training facility. Not far. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So, I'm so, uh, although Reno's not terrible, it's snowing out there again. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Well, yeah. dude, I saw the epic picture of you out there just fucking Conan the Barbarian on the you know on the wheel of woe. The wheel of woe. Dragging, yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, surprisingly, the girls weren't riding that thing, which is what my daughters would have done. They would have been like, "Oh, you're pulling <laughs> that? Let me sit on that." Well, it's because their cousins were here and they were going uh, ape shit, doing a huge dude, number of other our, things. But our yeah. uh, 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 Christine, her husband, did they sell off everything or driving around like? like yes. Yes, it's like uh, European, you know, Chevy Chase vacation. Um, although they, you know, it's a, a some sort of a fifth RV. wheel kind of gig, yeah, RV and gig. So, so yeah. they they're gonna homeschool the kids, put them in there for a year. America, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It sounds amazing until you have to actually get in the car for a road trip with your kids, and then right. you realize like twenty minutes. Like I remember, we oh, drove, Sean's like, saying that it's gonna be a year. I'm giving him two months. Huh. But we'll see. Well, the uh, we drove up to Reno to see Rob and Nikki, and um, you know that's a pretty legit drive from California. I mean, what's that like seven eight hours? 
And I shit you not 10 minutes from the house. Are we there yet? And it was every 10 minutes. Are we there yet? Uh, to the point where I was like, I'm going to kill these fucking kids. Like, it's unbelievable. I was like, yeah. Oh. And then I think I pulled over and I bought them some like video TV tablet things. And, it's, and then I didn't hear from them for like seven hours. So it was perfect. So <laughs> if you ever have to work with your kids, give them something to watch like frozen over and over again. Yeah. All right, guys, I, I've got a shake. Thank you for having me on. You're the man, Thanks, Rob. Rob. Thank okay, you. we'll talk to you soon. See okay. you. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Can't get enough of Rob Wolf? Head to his website, www.robwolf.com, for links to all of his social media and information on his new book, Wired to Eat. We couldn't be happier for Rob's success and are incredibly grateful for his dedication to making healthier bodies move better for longer. And if you've ever wondered how we slay these big-time guests, well, here's your answer. Well, the uh, the only reason Rob's on here is I have naked pictures of him and some farm animals, and I'm threatening to put them out there unless he comes on. Well, the no, you just wanted more, so <laughs> well, I, I keep them those in my private stash. They're, they're out of date. Yeah, you need my my you know uh, as my my testicle hair starts graying out, you want that whole transition. So until next time, bye.